Have you ever seen one of those detective shows where they have the giant board with all the pictures and the newspaper clippings and the person sitting there and they're trying to draw the strings and they're trying to connect all the dots? There's lots of information and they're not really sure how it all goes together. Well, sometimes reading our Bible can feel a little bit like that. It can feel like this big, huge collection of things. If you just were to take your Bible and open it up, you could open up and you find a song, and then you open up somewhere else and there's a story, and then there's a list of names, and then there's a story about Jesus, and then there's this different... And it can feel like one of those giant boards where there's all these stories, there's all these items, there's all these different sayings, and there doesn't seem to be a great connection between them. But one of the things, as we read our Bibles more and more, we realize there is a thread. There is that thread, like that moment when the detective finally puts it all together and links everything together. There's a thread that ties it all together. And the thread that ties the Bible together is the Messiah, the Christ, the one we call Jesus. And so today we're going to be looking at the story from the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 and a little bit more of um, this picture and understanding how Jesus ties the story together. So we're in the middle of a series we've called, am I calling the Bible Reading Reset? It's based drawing on a title used by the Institute for Bible Reading, which produced the Immersed Study, but a way to look again at how we read our Bibles. It's not that the Bible itself needs a reset, but the way we read it sometimes needs a reset. We need to understand because we can find the Bible difficult. And so last week I started talking about how little that we really read our Bibles. Studies of the United States and of the church find that we don't read our Bibles a whole lot. And one of the reasons is because it's hard sometimes. It's confusing. It's challenging. And so some of those things are things we've introduced, and sometimes it's because it's hard to understand. And so we're looking at how we can reconnect with reading our Bible. And last week I talked about one of the reasons we read our Bible, and the main reason we read our Bible is because life is found in a relationship with God. And one of the ways we connect with God is through reading our Bible. Now, it's important to recognize our relationship with, is with God, not with the Bible. The Bible is a means to that, but the Bible itself is not the one we have a relationship with. The Bible are God's words to us, but we have a relationship with God. And so reading our Bibles can help us connect with who God is. But today we're going to take a look and try and understand, what do we do with this random collection, all these different stories, all these different events, and what can we do with them? And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. And so this takes place near the end of the life of Jesus here on earth. He's been teaching and preaching. He's been handed over. He's been crucified and then laid in a tomb. And now this is taking place on that Sunday. He's crucified on a Friday. It's taking place on the Sunday. And that very morning, some of his followers, some of his female, his women followers have gone to the tomb and they found it empty. But this story in chapter 24, beginning at verse 13, where uh, Becca read for us earlier, takes place with a couple of his followers. They're on the road um, to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they've left Jerusalem where Jesus has been crucified, and they're on this road, and they're walking along. And they're walking along, and a stranger comes up and starts walking with them. Now Luke tells us it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him, and I don't know why they don't recognize him. They just don't, they don't, maybe something in his transformation after his resurrection, whatever it is, he's hidden from them in some sense and they're walking along and he says, so what are you talking about? They're like, well, haven't you heard? They're like, have you been sleeping under a rock? What, do you not know what's been going on? Jesus is like, no, tell me about it. What's been going on? 
And they said, well, there was this Jesus guy, and he was a prophet, and we thought he was amazing. We thought he was going to do these great things. We thought he was going to be the one who would redeem all of Israel. We had these great hopes for him. We had a story in our head, a dream of what he would do. But he was handed over and the religious leaders and they took him and they crucified him and they put him in a tomb. And then it gets really weird because some of, our other some of his other followers, these women went to the tomb and they said he wasn't there. They didn't find his body and they came and they said angels had given him a vision and he's alive. So you can imagine Jesus kind of listening in on all this, kind of wondering what's their perspective on what's been happening. Well, Jesus, Jesus doesn't hold back. He says, how foolish you are. He said, don't you get this? How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so what he's doing is he's beginning to take them back. He says, you don't understand this. You don't Know what the prophets, in other words, all these writings, we call them the Old Testament. Some people call it the First Testament. All these stories that they'd heard growing up. All the words that they had heard in the synagogue and in the temple. The readings they had heard. They said, don't you know what these were all about? He said, did not the Messiah, and Messiah is simply the word, or the Christ, the anointed one of God, didn't he have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? And then this key verse is verse 27, where it says that, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus takes them back, because reminding ourselves, they didn't have what we call a New Testament yet. That hadn't been written. Their scripture was the Old Testament. So the writings of Moses, we know them as the Torah, the first five books, and then the prophets, these other writings of the scripture. And Jesus takes them back and, don't you wish you could have been in on that Bible study? Where Jesus takes and he traces back and he said, this was all there. He explained to them what was said in all the scripture. In other words, what Jesus is saying is there's a thread that runs through the Bible story. There's something that makes the rest of those stories make sense. All those words the prophet had spoken, all that Moses had written, somehow was all brought together. Stories about creation, stories about a flood, stories about Joseph going down into Egypt. Stories about a conquest of the land of promise, stories about wandering in a desert. Stories about the exile and the return from exile. Songs that were written, all these things all these different stories, all these different writings were connected in some way. And the way that they all make sense together was they all were somehow pointing towards the Messiah, towards Jesus, towards the Christ. Now, the disciples had a story in mind, but they had the wrong story. But this story is a story about the Messiah, the Christ, and his name is Jesus. And now, by, when I say story... Sometimes we hear the word story and we think made up. That's not what I mean. I mean a story in terms of a narrative. And a narrative, going back to school, if you remember, what does a narrative or a story has? It has a plot. It has characters and there's an author. And so there's a different way to do that. And so we're going to talk a little bit later about how do we describe the plot of the Bible? If you were to sit down and say, what's the plot of the Bible? Or what's the story of it? 
But one of the ways that maybe I want to begin, though, is to be thinking about unhelpful ways that sometimes we read our Bible. And so I'm drawing some of these from the Bible Project, which is a great online um, collection of tools and stuff, and also a, a scholar named Scott McKnight, and thinking about different ways that sometimes we look at our Bible and we read our Bible, which aren't the most helpful ways. Now, they're not wrong ways to read our Bible, but they're not necessarily the most helpful ways. One of those ways is we think of it as a theology handbook. We say, well, what we want to know about angels. And so we look and we maybe we pull out our concordance. And if you're old school, you have this giant, this Strong's concordance, which is this book that's like this thick. And it takes all the different verses of the Bible and lays it out and tells you where you can find all the different words in the Bible. Or maybe you go online and find it. You read a systematic and you find it and you piece all these together and you say, what does the Bible say about this topic? What does the Bible say about this topic? And so you get fancy terms like ecclesiology. What's the church? What do we say about God? What do we say about anthropology? Who people are? Now, does the Bible speak to all those things? Certainly. But it's not necessarily the best way. Sometimes that's unhelpful because then we begin to think of the Bible simply as this repository of information. There's a way to collect these things. Another way we sometimes think of it is as a moral handbook. We try and come up with, well, what does the Bible say about a particular moral issue? And we go and we find the particular verses and we try and read those and we sometimes pull those out of context. And the other challenge is when we read it that way is we realize the Bible doesn't address, at least not directly, every moral issue that we can talk about. I mean, I think we would be hard-pressed to maybe say, well, can we find that Bible verse that talks about nuclear war? Or the Bible verse that talks about modern methods of fertilization. All these different topics that weren't conceived by the writers of the Bible. Another way we can think of it is a devotional grab bag. You know, we're like, oh, I need to hear some good words from God today. I need, I need a boost of energy. I need my spiritual boost for the day. And so we, we go flipping through our Bible to find something good. And we look and we say, oh, the hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. No, we're not going with that one. They say to the mother, well, no, that's not a good one. Woe to those who call evil good. Well, and we look through our Bible and we try and find those things that kind of like give us a little boost. And if we were to look around the world today, we could probably find there's probably a half dozen, maybe a dozen verses that are the popular ones, right? We go to and if you're not sure what those verses are, I encourage you go down to well, we don't have Christian bookstores anymore so much, but go down to like the Goodwill and find the coffee mugs and the mouse pads and everything that have the Bible verses written on them. And the truth is there's probably about a dozen or so of those. You know, I know the plans I have for you. you know, the peace of the Lord. And so there's these kind of, and so we look for it and we come to the Bible as a, a devotional grab bag, as a chance to find these little things or, or little morsels of devotion. Sometimes we look at the Bible as a way to piece together God's mind. It's a puzzle piece that we have to get together. We try and figure out, well, what's God saying? And we, we put these things together. Now, are any of those wrong ways to read the Bible? They're not wrong ways. The Bible contains theology. The Bible contains information about who God is and can tell us the truth about things. The Bible is a helpful place to go for devotions, to learn about who God is and to draw ourselves closer to him. The Bible is about morality. It teaches us how to live and shows us the way that God calls us to live. But 
What I want to suggest is the best way to read the Bible as a whole, to read through it and to make sense of all the different pieces is when we see it as a story about the Messiah, a story that all connects together. And so we saw it in the story from Luke where Jesus said, this is what the Bible is talking about. This is the thread. This is the, the end point where the Bible is leading to. There's a couple other places in the book of Acts chapter 13. It says, we tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And so here's someone looking back and reading the Bible and saying, here are these passages, these stories, and they all point forward to Jesus. Or Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So what, what's Paul saying there? That all these promises that God has made, all these different promises of the Old Testament find their yes in Christ. And Christ is, again, not Jesus' last name, but Christ is a translation. I mean, it's literally the, the Greek word is Christos, which is a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah or Mashiach. So he's the Messiah, he's the Christ. And so that's why sometimes you'll hear me and I've kind of begun to transition a lot in that. I won't talk about Jesus Christ, but maybe Messiah Jesus or Jesus the Christ to emphasize that this is a title, this is a role that he has. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, Paul writing, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, there's this story of the Bible and part of the story of the Bible where it leads to is that Jesus died and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. That there's this storyline that goes through it. Another way to maybe think of it is this quote from an um, Old Testament scholar named John Golden Gay. He says this. He says, each individual biblical story belongs in the setting of the story as a whole, stretching from the beginning to end with the Christ event at the center. You see what he says? Each of these stories, so if you were to pick up your Bible, it has lots of little stories in it. It has all kinds of little stories, it has all kinds of events. But he says, each one of those belongs in the setting of the story as a whole. From the beginning to the end with the Christ event, with Jesus at the center. And he uses the term, the Second Testament, what we call the New Testament often. The Second Testament story has to be read in light of the story related in the first and vice versa. The two testaments are like the two acts of one play. People cannot expect to understand Act, one if they, act 2 if they miss Act 1 nor act one if they leave at the intermission. Neither act can be understood independently of the other. In other words, what Golden Gate is saying is the Bible's a whole story. It's one collection. We just can't take a little piece of it here and there. But instead, it makes the most sense, we understand it best, when we put it all together in one single story. So, one of the things the Institute for Bible Reading talks about is this idea of biblical fluency versus biblical literacy. And so there are oftentimes every year different organizations like Barna or Pew publish surveys of biblical literacy. And by biblical literacy, they mean this idea of can you answer basic facts about the Bible? So biblical literacy might be can you tell 
is the book of 1 Kings, is that Old Testament or New Testament? Can you name the four Gospels? Can you tell who the 12 disciples of Jesus are? Can you tell, put a certain set of events in order? And those are helpful things, and that's biblical literacy in a sense. But what the Institute for IBR talks about, one of the better ways is biblical fluency. And I think of that in terms of maybe learning languages. I don't know how many of you learned languages or are learning languages in school, and you sit in a classroom and you, you read the French, and you have conversations in French, you do it in a workbook. And you, in some sense, have literacy in a language, but is that the same as fluency in a language? Because my guess is when I was taking French in high school, I was pretty good in the classroom, but if you had dropped me in the middle of France and left me on my own, I'm not sure how well I would have done. But people who go to foreign, language, foreign countries and immerse themselves in a language, they become fluent in the language. It just becomes kind of the natural way they speak. And so one of the things we want to begin to develop is biblical fluency. That sense of where the Bible just becomes kind of our natural language, and we don't have to think about it. And so one of the more helpful ideas is, in terms of biblical fluency, is not being able to name specific facts, but being able to share basic stories. So a question in biblical fluency might be something like, could you tell me the story of Joseph in a couple minutes? What's the story of Joseph? Or talk about the life of Jesus and some of the key events. Or more importantly, one of the best ways is to think about, could you tell the story of the Bible in about five minutes or less? If you were to think about the storyline of the Bible and to take it and say, what's the basic story of the Bible? And so I'm going to offer you one way to think about the story of the Bible. It's not the only way. Different writers have all different things. And so we're going to think about the story of the Bible in six acts, six parts, and how these all fit together. And so where does the story of the Bible begin? Anyone want to take a guess? The beginning, right? That's where stories begin, right? They, they begin at the beginning, right? And in the beginning, in Act 1, God creates everything. He establishes his kingdom. He's the great king, and he creates a world, and he creates people to rule and to live under him. That's chapters 1 and 2 of the Bible. He creates this world. So Act 1 is creation. God establishes his kingdom. He establishes creation. That's Act 1. Act 2, people rebel. People decide to live their own way. They choose their own way instead of God's way. Instead of living under him as their king, they decide to be kings for themselves. That's Act 2. And Act 3 is... God responds to that rebellion. How does God respond to that? He chooses Israel. He chooses a nation to live under his reign and show people the way. And amidst of Act 3 is just kind of failure after failure after failure after failure after failure of people living that way. That's Act 3. So we have Act 1. God creates a world, a good world, and puts people in it to rule and reign. Act two, people rebel. Act three, God enacts his plan to save the world through the nation of Israel, and they continue to rebel. Act four, God sends a king, or he sends what we would say the Messiah. He sends the Christ who fulfills that expectation of who people are called to be. He's the person, Jesus is the person that God intended all of us to be. 
in terms of the way we are to live under him and to obey him. And he leads the people into a renewed partnership with God. He gives his life for their sins, and then God raises them from the dead. This is the story of Jesus. So that's Acts 4, as Jesus is sent to show people the way, to lead people into the way, to provide forgiveness of sins and bring them into the way. So we got, so Act 5 then is we've got this kingdom now. We have a king. What do we do with that good news? We got to tell everybody about it. And so Act 5 is the spreading of the, spreading of the good news of the kingdom. And that's most of the rest of the New Testament. And if we want to put it in this term, Act 5 is the act we're living in. We're living in Act 5 right now. We're continuing to spread the good news of the kingdom. So I said there were six acts. What's Act 6 then? King comes back, right? Return of the king in the book of Revelation. Now it's in our Bibles, but it's something that's happening in the future. But what's the through line? What connects all of that is the story of the Messiah, the story of the Christ. So God creates a good world and asks people to lead and to rule under him, but they choose their own way. So then God acts a rescue plan. The people of Israel, and they choose their own way again and again and again. So finally God sends the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the one we call Jesus, to be the one who shows the way to bring about forgiveness of sins and to empower the people to live the right way. He announces the kingdom. He brings the kingdom. And then the good news of the kingdom is spread. And now we live in the time of that spreading of the good news. And we wait for the king to return. But all the stories are connected together by that. And so when we read our Bibles, we see that the stories can be shadows. They can be hints. They can be things that point forward to Jesus. So maybe we read, for example, I'll give you some examples. We read the story of Moses. If you're familiar, so Moses is the one that God calls God's people are in slavery in Egypt. God calls a man named Moses to lead them out. But there's a point in time where the people are gathered around the mountain and they've all decided once again to rebel against God. And Moses goes before God and he prays for the people and then he says, don't kill them, kill me. Fast forward to Jesus. What does Jesus do for the people who are in rebellion? He dies for them. And so we can read the story of Moses in some sense. It's a story in and of itself and it has its truths. And, and it's, but it's also something pointing forward to this picture. And so the story of Moses has created a shadow, has created a type, has created an image, has created a picture of what the Messiah is to be. The one who prays for, intercedes for his people and who offers his life for the sins of the people. Now the danger in this is what Michael Byrd calls Jesusifying everything. It's like making every passage directly about Jesus and ignoring the other aspects. So here's where we find the balance. We find the balance in the storyline is about Jesus, but we also have to be cautious and not make every story just about Jesus because there are other elements into it. So we'll take another story, the story of David and Bathsheba. So David was the king of Israel. And the people and the Israelites are off at war, but David the king has stayed behind. And while he stays behind, he's in his palace and he looks down and he sees a woman 
And he decides that he wants this woman for his own. And this, I mean, he takes her, he abuses her, and then he ends up killing her husband because of what's gone on. And so one way we can read the story, if we're thinking about it in terms of pictures of Jesus, is David was the king. And he had some good points, but he certainly wasn't the king we needed, right? And so in some sense, we could read that story of David and Bathsheba is a story about there's a better king to come. And so we're reminded when Jesus comes that he comes from the line of King David, and he's the king that we really need. And so we can read the story in that way, but there are also other lessons to draw from the story. Lessons about violence against women and lessons about adultery. And so Jesusifying it, as Michael Bird calls it, is taking it and restricting it to the story about Jesus or another story, the parable of the prodigal son. And so Jesus tells a story about a boy who leaves his father, takes his inheritance, goes off to a far country, spends all the money, and then when he runs out of money, he does what every kid does, he comes back home. But in the story, as he comes back home, the father comes running and embraces him and gives him a ring and has a celebration about it. And Jesus is telling this story in the context of the religious leaders challenging him and saying, well, why are you hanging out with all the sinners? And Jesus is saying, this is what God is like. And so we can read the story in some sense about Jesus bringing prodigals home, but it's also a story about a patient, loving father. It's about who God is and what he's like. And so we can pay attention to other things in the story about God's love, his faithfulness, his plan. And to realize that the Bible does have moral dimensions. We don't want to moralize it, but the Bible does give us a moral vision of the way to live. And so, as we're reading our Bible, as we're reading our Bible, we want to avoid making it a grab bag of devotional ideas. We want to avoid making it a theological puzzle together, but to read it as a story. We're going to talk more about this idea of reading it as a story and seeing a big picture next week. But to see it most importantly this week, what I want us to go home is, as we read our Bibles to say, how is this connected to the story of the Messiah? How is this connected to this big story of God created us to be his people? We consistently failed. God provided a solution in Messiah Jesus, and now it's called us to announce that good news and wait for the coming and returning king. So when we see and we read each part of our Bible, we see all of these things, all of the ideas, all of the themes of the Bible come to fulfillment in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Spirit. So let's read our Bibles as a story. Read our Bibles as a story, and at the center is Jesus. I always think of when we have kids up here. We ask him a question, and I usually want to tell the kids, like, if the person asks you a question you don't know the answer, best guess is Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the little boy who's sitting up there, and, and the person's sitting up there and describing it and saying, well, it has four legs and fuzzy and has a big tail, and the boy says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus. And in a sense, that's when we're reading our Bibles is the key is to say all of these things are pointing to Jesus. Now, we may not be able to read every single passage and figure out how exactly it points to Jesus. 
But that's only when we read individual verses, but when we begin to read big stories and selections of it. So for the example, the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is notorious for being hard to read and confusing, and it's got all these strange laws. And if we were to just pull out individual single verses and say, how does not mixing our kind of threads in any way point to Jesus, we might not be able to say how that specific verse does, but if we think about the book of Leviticus as a whole, the book of Leviticus is a story about preparing and purifying their people in order to enter into the presence of God. Because they built a tabernacle, and now the question is, how can an impure, how can a sinful people enter into the presence of God? And God provides a way. Then we begin to say, oh, the book of Leviticus is a looking forward to Jesus, who is the one who purifies us, who cleanses us of our sin, so that we can enter into the presence of God. So that's one way we can take the Jesus, the Messiah story and see how it all fits together. And sometimes it's seeing it in big pictures instead of trying to take, as we're in the habit of doing, as we've been trained to do by our years in church of reading little tiny stories and saying, how does this verse, how does this little story point towards Jesus of beginning to say, how does that little verse, how does that story fit into the bigger story? And when we begin to put it all in the big story, when we begin to take the big map and put it all together, we see the storyline. It takes the thread to Jesus. And so we begin to ask ourselves, how does this little story, how does this meta story fit into the bigger story? And then how does that bigger story all point us to the big and grand story, which is about Jesus, the Messiah who saves us? So I would invite you as you're reading your Bible this week to say, how is this pointing me towards Jesus? In what way is it directing me towards Jesus? This is what Jesus explained to the followers on the road to Emmaus. Was that the prophets and Moses are all a story that point to him. And so may we read the story there. May we, as we read our Bibles... May we look for Jesus everywhere. Amen.